what is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea, a new world order where diverse nations are drawn together in common cause to achieve the universal aspirations of mankind, peace and security, freedom and the rule of law. George H.W. Bush Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Secrets of Saturn. On this episode, we have Vinny Eastwood. Vinny is the host of the Vinny Eastwood Show out of New Zealand and is known worldwide as a fighter of scumbaggery everywhere. And welcome to the show, Vinny. Oh, I'm uh, very glad to be here, bro. Well, it's an honor and a pleasure. You are very well known and I have the utmost respect for your work. Well, that's what a lot of people have been saying and I've just been thinking about this being famous and being recognizable and all of that kind of stuff. It can turn you into like a complete wanker. <laughs> and and sure enough, <laughs> I've acted like a complete douche to a lot of people. Mission accomplished, recently. eh? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like, uh, let, let's just say, for example, a whole lot of people want to give you advice or tell you what to do or something like that because they can see you, they can hear you, and they, and they see stuff wrong and, and what have you. Um, and then you go, well, let me ask you a question, bro. Have you got 20,000 YouTube subscribers yet? No. <laughs> Have you done, uh, uh 6,000 radio interviews? No. Have you created the largest online video archive of protest, public meetings and interviews with activists in New Zealand history? No. Anything close to that? No. Then... Fuck off, because I'm not <laughs> taking your advice. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's like, bro, if you've, if you've got something to say, um, keep it to yourself until you've got a track record to back it up. I mean, more or less, that's that's uh, kind of a, a lesson I had to learn uh, earlier on. As I was sitting there going, oh, okay, well, I need to email this person and that radio show and that YouTuber and everything and tell them how to improve their game or anything like that. And then I sat back and realized... I'm just a know-nothing wanker, and I'm not actually doing anything, bro. Why don't I, instead of bossing around people that I've never met who are doing a hell of a lot more than me, why don't I just start doing my own thing and build it, and that way I can stop complaining about people who are more successful than me and start becoming my own version of successful. Which means, and I believe you started in 2007, right? Uh, Thereabouts? 2007, 2008-ish, I think, yeah, but uh, the radio show started in 2010. So I've been in uh, talk radio for a good five years now, and it's, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty intense, bro. It's, it's uh, kind of like the Occupy movement. They were intense. And then it kind of fizzled. Yeah. So uh, I'd love to know what actually got you on the path of awakening, into whatever you want to call it, the truth movement, awakening movement, liberty movement, everybody banties different terms around. Well, um, I just finished editing a video where it said this exact same uh, story about how, what got me into it. But long story short, I got busted for 13 grams of cannabis for sale uh, when I was uh, 20 years old. 
and I was going to go to jail for up to eight years because they punish it like manslaughter. And you have no um, in New Zealand we have this thing called diversion. Whereas if you if you commit a crime, but it's not like a really really bad crime or something like that, you get you just get a warning and you get let off with no criminal conviction. Um, no, they didn't give me uh, no warning or anything. It was just straight conviction, and um, I was and I wasn't able to travel. And I'm not sure if I. Uh, ever will be able to go to the States or Japan or any other place that um, uh, disallows people who have cannabis convictions. Um, ironically, the States is now uh, legalizing cannabis ahead of New Zealand, which is a bit of a puzzler to me considering like almost everybody in this country smokes weed religiously. Um, and then after that, I took a, a year off. Did, um, uh, I did cactus at the end, at the, end of the, uh, the next year after that. And it told me that I had to uh, uh, move into town. I had to go back to university and I had to get a job as a telesalesperson. Um, and I did. And the second year of university taught me something very interesting. When they gave me a subject matter that was um, uh, anti-television discourse, right? There was an essay I specifically remember uh, writing because it was the first time I'd actually really put effort into an essay in my entire life. Like, I'm, I'm really, really bright, but I'm also really, really, really lazy. So... <laughs> The first time I'd ever actually read source material, first time I'd ever really uh, put up a bibliography, first time I'd put uh, reference notes and, th and things of that nature. This is the best essay I'd, I'd like ever written at that point. Um, so naturally, I got a D minus because uh, <laughs> the, the because the lecturer was like, "No, television's good for everybody, and it's good in every way. You know, you're criticizing it as bad as bad, and you know your arguments are flawed and everything. And you know the problem is." I realized that because of the fact that they were supportive of television, it wasn't a good place for me to be learning, considering uh, the reason I went to university is because I wanted to be a filmmaker, and in two years of university, I'd made zero films. So I quit, went full-time into uh, doing telemarketing. Uh, I was getting really, really good at it, making a lot of money, and uh, I was had a 50% strike rate. Uh, every second person that picked up that phone, I'd be able to convince them to abandon their telephone company that they've been with for like decades and go with this new telephone company that's actually got cheaper rates and is a New Zealand-owned company rather than the foreign-owned ones that we've got and get them to switch over, even though they never heard of me, never heard of my company or, or anything like that. I was just boom. And you, can, and you can see it, how I've translated that skill uh, from telemarketing to marketing the truth. Right. Um, I had a had a couple of bad jobs uh, there uh, after that, like uh, the one where I was real successful. I got fired because I wrote a seven page essay about what was wrong with the company. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like how to improve staff retention and, and, and all of these things. And they were just like, oh, OK, that's really nice. And they do like a five minute meeting with me and then they go, OK, everything's good. All the, all the issues solved. It's like, bro, but you, 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 you didn't even get past page one of the essay <laughs> we left the conference room and you made zero changes and and even all the account managers and everything like that and the company was supporting me and, and were behind me on this um but the uh, head honchos weren't so i don't know it just kind of um it clued me into something i went from the police not uh and the establishments of our world and and politicians and everything trusting them implicitly with hope and faith to being arrested by cops, having the cop manufacture evidence against me, getting uh, 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 marked really badly for really good work in university and getting fired for being able to run a company better than the runner of the company was, 
and then uh, getting into uh, business with a, a psychopath who um, basically uh, made my life a bit of a, a bit of a living hell. Although he paid me ten times as much as anybody else ever did. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I took that money at the end of that uh, month's work for him. I think it's about eleven thousand nine hundred dollars worth of uh, shopping vouchers for a local mall chain. So all the electronic stores in there, I got in and I, I grabbed myself a handy cam and a tripod and a little iMac computer. And um, ever since then, I've been uh, exposing scumbaggery best way I know how. And the best way I know how, um, considering my laziness, is to go find people who expose scumbaggery on their own and don't need my help to do it, but only need my help to film and interview them and then publish that up to other people. Because if somebody exposes scumbaggery with a camera and doesn't upload the video, did that scumbaggery really get exposed? No, it it didn't. Um, And this has become my life now. I work for the activists. I work for the people. I work for the truth. I work for the people in the, that are part of the truth movement um, until such a time as I'm no longer needed. Um, and a lot of the people I do help who are willing to go that extra yard, who are willing to learn how to cut their own videos, make their own radio shows and things like that, I will tell them and I will teach them and I will show them the skills so that those who actually have uh, the commitment to truth that I have will not need me to do it for them anymore. Right. Right. The uh, the best uh, management model I ever saw was how to get yourself fired by making yourself redundant. Right. That's that's the best way of managing. You manage everything so well that you no longer need to manage it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, except I do it all for free, and uh, I only survive on uh, people's uh, good faith and goodwill uh, towards me for all the things that I have done. Not because I'm about to do something that they want to uh, pay me to do for them, like or in like some kind of exchange. But I give you all the videos all the interviews, all the blogs, all the posts, all the memes and everything, absolutely for free. Nobody pays me a dime uh, per hour to do that. Um, and if people like it, if people want to uh, keep supporting me, they go to the com and uh, they donate, you know, according to their means. Some people are donating me like $100 a month, some people 50 some people a dollar a month, right? And it all depends um, because you get nothing back for it, nothing, right? Um, and, and there's a reason I'm doing this and, I, and it might be counterintuitive. It might be anti-business. It might be, uh, uh, cutting me off in the knee camps before I've even achieved any real success. But if there is no profit motive for me to do my work, like if I get paid, whether or not I do the work and, uh, I don't get paid more because I've done more work or, or, or anything like that. Um, then it prevents me having any capacity for uh, holding things over other people, right? I can't say to them, I'm not going to do your work even though you paid me because they, they didn't. <laughs> you know? um, it just basically, it's, a, it's, a, it's an anti-corruption thing. I don't want to wind up being corrupt. And as far as my life experience, my very tough life experience has taught me anybody with power over other people, Anybody with authority uh, is inherently corruptible. And so I've attempted to take the power away uh, uh, that I used to have over other people and uh, tried to take away any of the uh, temptation uh, for corruption uh, out of my life and income stream 
as well so that I can survive with longevity uh, without having to worry about becoming the very scum that I uh, fight against. Well, is it safe to say that uh, everything has been building up more and more over the years, though, even though you're not looking at it from a financial aspect? No, not really. I mean, I've always just been uh, coasting along. I mean, it's always been just a matter of uh, more or less survival, and it's and this is the first time that we've actually been in a house where uh, it actually has the the space and the layout that we need. You know, we need uh, we need two toilets, and we need uh, three bedrooms, and we need a decent backyard. Like that was pretty much our minimum requirement, and it was only. Um, uh, this last uh, year or two, they managed to find a house like that. Incidentally, the uh, the number on the letterbox is thirty three. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was like, "Oh, mate, that's a sign right there." <laughs> it was the only house within our price range that had all the all the requirements filled. So you know, it was kind of synchronistic, um, especially considering it was on the market at the exact time that we needed it to be. Um, so. That's that's kind of like uh, I guess we're like sort of more financially stable to a degree, but we're paying more every every week for rent in order to have these things that I need in order to do my job. Super fast broadband, blah 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 blah. More equipment's coming in, so I don't know. I've always lived uh, life on a on a nice edge, and and uh, it's it's kind of frustrating. Like I, I feel constant anxiety about where my next meal is coming from, and. Um, it's it's really frustrating and it's really difficult. Um, and so anybody who wants to get into the truth movement, they have to get into it for the, uh, more or less the same reasons I do, is that the money isn't really the reason you're in it for. If you're really, really good, if, you, if you're just top of the game, you'll, you'll make enough to survive if you're lucky. Uh, but that will require the same thing it required of me, uh, countless thousands of hours of working for no benefit of any kind for other people who cannot afford to pay you. Uh, and you have to do that for years and years and years. It took me maybe maybe at least four or five years before I was making enough to live off, basically. You were still working another job? No. On the side? No. I mean... Oh, no, you're just eking by? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did uh, little things uh, every every now and again, like I, I part-time looked after autistic boys, uh, and I couldn't do that uh, too very long. I, I was probably the best person uh, who, the, who these people have ever had looking after their kids because carers are generally female, and when you're dealing with uh, young boys who are, you know, 15-year-old boys just as dangerous as a, as a 20-year-old guy, um, and they, they're reasonably strong, and uh, they, they can't communicate properly, so... They they needed somebody who's much larger, stronger, and, and things like that to take care of them, as well as the fact that uh, men are better at taking care uh, of boys than women sometimes are. They're and, probably more of an authority figure as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I helped them and uh, in, in, uh, changed their behaviors uh, massively. Uh, one of the boys was really uh, um, overweight, and, and I took him running and everything, and he started behaving uh, differently, much better. One of the boys used to bite and spit and scratch and hit and everything. After a couple of months with me, he didn't do that to anyone ever again. Um, and I couldn't keep doing that because I found out that autism could be cured. And mm -hmm. a friend of mine is a uh, master herbalist, and she said to me, get these people to come and see me. I will give them a free consultation because it's through you, Vinny. 
and uh, we'll see if these kids have the kind of autism that can be helped uh, by biomedical therapies and things of that nature. And I was like, sure, sure. And uh, guess what the the parents' response was? Nah, 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 nah. Mm. You know, we want to. It, it was basically it came to the realization that. These parents have been so downtrodden over so many years of being lied to about what caused autism and saying that it was your fault, it's your genetics, etc., and and it's incurable and there's nothing that can be done, or whatever, that they give up entirely for the end of time ever trying to improve the behavior of their child, right? Uh, and that is uh, something that was um, draining on me emotionally doing the work and I, and I had to quit more or less. Uh, after that, you know, all that reminds me of I just interviewed Kyle Marsh, who put out the uh, documentary Vitamin Cannabis. And it's the same nonsense where people are so brainwashed by the mainstream medical community that they don't even know that there is a cure for cancer already. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, what you just said is just yet another example of that, about how the mainstream just is controlling everyone's uh, viewpoints. Yeah. And, and um, ultimately, when you're a truther, and you know the truth about a whole bunch of stuff, whether it be uh, medical, false flag, terrorism, or political corruption, or whatever. Participating in those worlds is painful mm-hmm. and aggravating. I think is probably the more appropriate term because it drives you freaking nuts <laughs> seeing all this freaking stupidity and scumbaggery and the pain and the fear that's totally unnecessary. Right. Um, and after, I think, uh, also on the side, I was doing dance party videos. So I, I'd have like people in the, um, dance party community, uh, uh, here, here in New Zealand who'd hire me, like they'd pay me like 50 bucks or a hundred bucks or whatever to go and, uh, film their gigs and make them. So you can, you can search for my, uh, my old YouTube channel for shift parties and things like that. And I make the Mickey, Mickey as, uh, 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 music videos, bro, like really, really cool, really fun. But uh, I think the uh, the point that uh, really solidified my activism as a career was when I was at the lowest point in my career, where I was getting so little from donations, I was getting so so much anxiety over just paying the bills through uh, through getting enough donations that I had to get a uh, a job, right? Hmm. Uh, and it was my best, one of my best friends, Jono, who gave me the job selling uh, insulation door to door. And I couldn't do it. I went in for the interview, got the job. And then the very next, and then, uh, that evening, uh, I was lying in bed thinking about putting on a suit in the morning and going out and, and, uh, knocking on doors and making some money. And I, and I, I had a panic attack. Hmm. And it was on that day that I realized that I am employophobic, meaning having a fear of gainful employment. And uh, that fear uh, motivated me to, for the first time, I think, do a massive wide appeal uh, for donations. And to my shock and surprise, I got donated like three, four grand in about uh, uh, 72 hours to, to a week. Yeah. It was just like, boom! Wow! Oh wow! Right, because uh, I've I've developed so much street cred and a good reputation among not just the New Zealand truth community but the global truth community that unlike anybody in New Zealand uh, and unlike most people uh, in the United States, when I need money, 
I can actually get it, right? Donate it without having to pay it back very, very quickly just by asking for help because I help everybody every day, you know, just as a matter of course. And I don't ask for help very often, but when I do, I get it every time. Right. And uh, within the next couple of days, I think I'll actually also have to be asking for help again because it's been whew, pretty pretty tough. It's been pretty tough, yeah. Well, you're certainly welcome to put out anything you need to on this interview. Yeah, yeah. Well, just go to the com and uh, uh, go through the PayPal or if you happen to be listening in from New Zealand, there's a Kiwi Bank account in there and automatic, automatic payments, even small automatic payments that come in uh, every month are very uh, are highly valued. Um, if you can't really do that, a one-off's perfectly fine. Um, and there's there's a whole bunch of options. Just donate according to your means, um, but it's under this proviso. Do not, under any circumstances, donate to me if your kids are going hungry, your rent is going unpaid, you can't you're having you're having trouble paying your power bill, you're having any problems with yourself, and you don't actually have any spare income. Don't donate to me. Okay, take care of yourself before you start taking care of other people. Fair enough. There's only one person in the truth community I could say is really, has really made this into a hugely successful business model. But I'm glad to, to know that you're, you're doing it and surviving. Well, the way I look at it is the, um, the world's run in the direct opposite way that it should. So in order for me to run any kind of business, I have to run it in the direct opposite way to the way everybody else does. Okay, like I had the... Uh, the Inland Revenue Department uh, come in and see me, our tax department lo locals here. And they were like, so Vinny, are you, a, are you a sole trader? Are you a business? Are you a charity? And I go, well, I'm not a sole trader because I don't sell people's souls all my own. <laughs> uh, and I'm not a business because I don't make products that I uh, exchange to people for money. And I'm not a charity because I don't, actually give money or help uh, 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 people who need it when, when they've given me money. I've already done it. A charity, I ask for money before they help people. I help people before I ask for money. <laughs> right. So I, I do, I've done such and, and made it work, made such a unique business model that there isn't currently a tax code for what I do because nobody in this country has ever done what I have done. I don't think anybody in the world has done what I have done. And I, I think this is the, uh, the new way that business should be conducted. And uh, it's called the peer-to-peer the -peer economy. Um, uh, James Corbett of the Corbett Report uh, enlightened me to this uh, phenomenon. And it's more or less what I have been doing um, by instinct without knowing that there was actually a term for it. And there is no tax code for a peer-to-peer -peer economic model. There is no recognition of it as an official, uh, uh, useful way of conducting business. But I think that today we need more than ever business models that are based on ethics and community participation more than profit. Profits obviously needs needs to be there. I need to make a, a bit of coin but I don't 
profit so much from it because whenever I want something, I just get it uh, donated. I ask for the money and I get and I get the money in and I get the in I get the equipment. What I don't have is uh, spare income all the time. You know, like it, it'd be nice if if I could just let's say tomorrow night, for example, I'm going to a bar and I'm hosting a uh, conspiracy theory pub quiz. It'd be nice if I could afford to buy just one beer for myself, mm. but I can't. You know, that's really depressing. I can imagine. When you're doing 16-hour days and you're helping humanity and at the end of the week you can't even uh, uh, buy a beer for yourself, right? It's really sad and, and, quite, and quite frustrating. But I don't I don't know how to how to really uh, get over that because it's not like you can go out to everybody. Hey, everybody, donate to me so I can go out and get fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> well, could you approach this like a band thing where you would have uh, Vinny Eastwood merchandise available since you now have a name for yourself, an image? You know, supposedly. But I mean, I've I've learned a, a couple of lessons over this time, and is that I don't have enough time to do all the merchandising and the marketing and then putting all that stuff out there. I actually need other people to just take the reins and do that for me, okay? Just the kind of way that I've uh, served the community in my own way without anybody needing to tell me what to do. I would like somebody else to uh, work with me and, ju- and just go, hey, Vinny, we're going to create this website, we're going to print all these T-shirts off, it, et cetera, and we're going to sell them for you, and then we're just going to give you a cut of the profits whenever we make them, all right? Sweet ass, no worries. Because that way it, it requires zero participation on my part, zero effort on my part, and I simply get a form of passive income. And that's the, that's the key here is passive income. Whether you get out of bed, whether you go to work, it doesn't matter. You still get your money. And uh, that's what you need to survive. And so this this enables me, although I can't at the end of the week go and get a beer, what I can do is after four, five, six months of solid radio interviewing people who've been abused by satanic, sexual, pedophile cults and shit like that, it, I can take and need to take a month or even two completely off and do nothing for the truth movement during during that time because it's so emotionally uh, painful to sit there and interview people about the traumas that they've had in their life that I need extended periods of time off. And because of my passive income, I can take two months off whenever I want to, whenever I need to, that kind of thing. And I won't have to worry about it. Um, but yeah, when you've got businesses to run, you've got taxes to pay and all of that other stuff and the, and the, the way everybody else, uh, does business, they can't do that because they're doing it for the money. Me, I'm doing it for humanity. And that means that I have to take on humanity's emotional baggage a lot of the time in order to help people get over these terrible things that have happened to them and allow them to open up on radio to, to explain these things to the audience who also get emotionally traumatized. And that's why there's, there's jokes. Amid these, amidst these interviews, because it's very difficult. Uh, I, I think maybe even particularly for the audience to just deal with reality if there isn't a dick joke inserted somewhere, just quietly. All that being said, I think the next question I'd like to ask you is: What is the New World Order scumbaggery from your point of view? Uh, I'd probably just say it's the psychopathic mindset. Um, uh, manifesting itself into reality 
people who lie, cheat, steal, and defame and intimidate uh, and uh, injure and hurt shamelessly without guilt, more or less. This is the way the operation of the world is currently run. And uh, psychopaths have infiltrated all the major establishments of of, uh, any foreseeable influence, uh, business, media, politics, entertainment, religion, law, medicine, all run by psychopaths. Yes. And uh, what they do is they just in, they, they're kind of like a parasite. Hmm. They will attach onto the host and they will send uh, these chemicals down the, down the chain uh, into the uh, remaining cells in the host's body and they will very slowly corrupt and destroy the body as a whole. Uh, it kind of like a cancer does. Uh, and they grow exponentially uh, if they don't kill the host. But unfortunately, they do kill the host and they kill us. They kill people. And to be governed, and governed means control, by the way, from the original Latin, by people who literally don't have a conscience, who actually enjoy hurting, killing, raping, Hmm. lying, and stealing people's ideas. That's the new world order. That's scumbaggery to me. It is. It is not just a structure. It is a mindset. The mindset of scumbaggery. There is a language of scumbaggery. Have you ever heard a politician speak for twenty minutes and notice that he didn't say a goddamn thing? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the language of scumbaggery, and that that language has existed for thousands of years. They also use an odd cadence. I've noticed. Like the way they speak, especially if they're doing like a, a a big public address, they say things in a very odd, uh, almost over exaggerated sort of way. Mm, mm, mm. Um, well, I think so, but to me, it's not just about like how they speak or what or what they're saying. Um, it's what they don't say. It's the things that are connoted by what they do say. It's the the deception, the manipulation of the words that they're using. One thing that's really uh, hurt me over the years is the realization that I'm just like them. I have the uh, similar traits. I'm charming and enchanting. Uh, When you meet me, uh, I I have a a grandiose uh, nature to me. Um, I'm kind of... Larger than life personality. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I'm kind of selfish. You should see when I'm trying to give people presents for Christmas or something. I'm just shocking because <laughs> I, I, I think more about myself than I do anybody else. These are these are also traits of psychopaths um, because all psychopaths are narcissists, but not all narcissists are psychopaths. Right. I'm a narcissist um, uh, in in a pure in a pure form uh, without the um, the lack of a conscience without the valuing of my own life and my own comfort over uh, the survival of others uh, and the human race. I have uh, massive amounts of creativity. Psychopaths have none. I can create things out of nothing. And uh, I don't lie to people. I can't steal things anymore. I used to be a klepto, like bad. I even stole from I even stole a microphone from an activist one time, and then I, and then I and then I felt really really bad about it. And I didn't use it ever, not once. And it was just sitting in the box under my desk. And one day that activist called me up and asked me what happened to that microphone. And I go, Oh, thank God you called me. And I gave it back to them. 
Um, but I still feel bad about that. I still feel bad about a lot of things. I uh, live my life in some kind of like, I don't know, perpetual uh, uh, guilt warp drive or, so, or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And it's through feeling guilty for the bad things that you do that you know that you're not a psychopath. Uh, and the whole reason why I dislike psychopaths so much is because their personality reflects a lot of the uh, parts of me. Um, to the point where people think that I'm one of them, and that really, really pisses me off. There's two things. There's two things in my life that piss me off worse than anything else. One is not being given credit for something that I have done, and the other is being accused of doing something that I haven't done. Fair enough. Yeah, I think uh, there was this one time in high school, and I think this is this is where this uh, this belief actually originated was in high school. Uh, there was this one time we had a conversation about racism and how different races um, express their racism. And I made the point that uh, uh, Caucasians uh, express their racism towards other races by making racist jokes a lot of the time and using racial humor. And I was interested in how um, uh, black people or how uh, Maori people or how Asian people express their racism towards Caucasians or even, or even other races. I was, you know, mm -hmm. interested in the topic of racism in itself. I wanted to understand it. And so naturally, the uh, the Maori girl at the table went to the uh, deputy principal and lied and said that I'd uh, told uh, racist jokes and then said that Maoris were all bums and, and all of this kind of stuff. <laughs> and I got suspended from high school for that. No evidence. And you know what was worse? I went round to ask the other people who were at the table that day to back me up, and they wouldn't. Why? They said that I had made those racist jokes, that I had been racist. Just the concept of having a conversation about the context of racism and how it's expressed to these other people in my, that were of my own age group was such a racist thing to do <laughs> that they thought that I needed to be suspended from high school for three days. And that really hurt me, bro. It really did. And it probably changed your viewpoint too, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, not that much. I, al <laughs> I already thought that everybody was a complete asshole, and uh, all, it did was, all it did was kind of solidify that shit. You know what I'm saying? And the other one, I think it was uh, I had to repeat uh, my last year of high school because the first year of high school I was too busy getting drunk, more or less. And all of my friends, incidentally enough, were one year younger than me, so I actually got to have a year where I was in class with my actual friends. Nobody in my own of my own exact age group in the in the years of high school that I was in was my friend. I hated almost everybody in my class and everybody hated me. Huh. Um, I think it's probably because I was smarter than most of them and they didn't like it. Probably. But one time I was the head of the prom committee, okay, in my second year of high school, uh, second last year of high school, yeah. And I came up with the concept. It was the snowball, you know, and uh, – I organized the whole thing, organized the uh, the buildings and uh, uh, the building of the uh, designs and uh, little thingies that we had all around the hall uh, to to do this little student dance thing, and then and it went off so spectacularly well that the uh, principal made a point of reading out the list of the names of all the people who contributed uh, in a high school assembly. So it was like seven seven eight hundred kids in the in that in that assembly. And uh, all the seventh formers, uh, that's like the 17-year-olds, whatever, I'm not sure what grade it is, but the final grade in high school, I think, we're all sitting on one section of the bleachers. 
and they called out the name of every single person in the seventh form bleacher to thank them for their contributions to the highly successful prom, with the exception of one name. <laughs> Me. Of course. The person who was the actual head of the prom committee, the person who organized it, who came up with the name, and so, and so on and so forth. And why was that? Uh, I, don't, I don't know why. I don't know why. Well, I figured it was because you're a, a bit of a troublemaker. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, what I do know is that was the first day I decided to drink vodka at school. <laughs> you know, I, I, I drove home uh, and I poured a little bit of uh, vodka into a, a pump water bottle and I just sat there drinking it in school because I was so, so angry that I hadn't been given credit for something that I had done that I suddenly didn't care about anything. I even... Um, I even attacked my friend that day. Uh, he, he was bending over uh, into the bushes to, to, to uh, get something out of his bag or something, and I just kicked him in the ass and sent him ass <laughs> over heels into the bushes. <laughs> You're expressing your adolescent anger. You know, and, and I'm still that angry today. Against authority? Not not just against authority, but against everything that messes with me, everything that doesn't give me my due credit, everything that tells me, everyone who tells me that they're better than me and they know how to do things that I don't know how to do, anybody who doesn't show me the same respect that I show them, I hate with a passion. It sounds like all these events were leading you up to be able to be the person you are today, though, like you, because you are so successful at being an independent media uh, personality. Yeah, well, I, I said um, uh, for quite a while that the most uh, important thing in my life has been my traumas. Uh, and who better to be in the limelight, exposing scumbaggery, the worst criminals and, and, and filth that this world has ever seen, and to be constantly ridiculed, called names and talk down to an attack, who do you think would be more qualified to do that job than somebody who's had it happen to them their entire life? Sure. No, that makes perfect sense. you gotta, you got to turn... Uh, it's like alchemy. You turn one element into another. If there's an element of scumbaggery in your life, you've got to turn it into something good. You have to, you have to make something good from it. Now, I was probably... Uh, one of the smartest, one of the most talented kids in my school, but my grades were terrible. You know why? Because school's freaking boring. Yes. And, and it wasn't allowing me to express my creativity. Um, and so naturally, I got in trouble a lot. I got suspended from high school 19 times <laughs> in this, in, uh, from the same high school in the six years that I was there. You know how many times I've been suspended from high school before that? Hmm. Uh, zero, right? I, I, I'd never even been stood down from from uh, elementary school. I'd never actually really even uh, been in uh, in too much problems. Um, although I was very violent when I was in elementary school, very violent, and that was because my father was very violent towards me. Mm. And uh, I was talking with uh, my friend Suzanne Posel about this the other night. Is that the things that my dad and people have done to me? have damaged and scarred me with wounds that will not ever heal, I don't think. 
So what they've done is they've uh, they've made me inherently evil. Okay, bad things have been done to me. Uh, uh, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So I've come to terms with the fact that, to a large degree, despite what I do for a living and despite uh, how I appear, I'm actually a bit of a monster. I'm I still have the desire to be cruel. I still have the desire to hurt other people that piss me off. I still have all of these really dark uh, uh, intentions and things behind me. But it's the measure of a man to deny the animal that he truly is so that he can become the man that he wants to be. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like you've had all these terrible things done to you, so you're going to show that you're better than that by overcoming and actually giving back to humanity, by being better than these people were to you. Mm, and I don't know if, if, if that's the case. It's simply um, sacrifice. I, I feel that uh, I'm, I'm kind of like a, a bad influence on people. I'm a, I'm a bit of a parasite to a, to a large degree. I feel really bad about myself. And that's the other, that's the other uh, flip side of being a benign narcissist is that although you're often very brilliant and very creative and enchanting to people, you also are very, very down on yourself, very judgmental of yourself, and uh, you don't take criticism very well. Um, and, and I'm just wondering if I'll, if I'll ever reach a breaking point about uh, uh, doing this, whether I'll I'll become the very monster that I got into this um, uh, movement to fight because – and I've set up a, a little dragnet system to protect myself from myself. Um, and that's uh, just making friends with people who expose scumbaggery for a living. If, heaven forbid, in the near future, I turned in some – uh, kind of scumbag. All my friends and confidants, colleagues, will pull me up on it and and stop me. And if I and if I'm if I'm too far gone and I can't be come back, like if I'd um, had too much conflict or too much involvement with psychopaths or something like that, and they'd infected my personality and they'd and they'd turn me into one of them that I, I lose my creativity, that I lose my inherent goodness that's inside me, I would want them, all my friends, to betray, sabotage, and destroy me as soon as humanly fucking possible so that I cannot continue to do damage uh, to them and the truth movement in general. I don't want to sell out. I don't want to be... Um, I don't want to be what I naturally am, which is a monster. I want to deny that for as long as I uh, as I possibly can, and uh, the uh, best trick for that, other than setting those uh, drag nets uh, to catch myself when I'm at my worst, uh, also just inherent large amounts of self analysis. Why do I think that? Why did I do that? Uh, this this kind of thing. Am I being a douchebag? Yes, I think I am being a douchebag. I think we might be able to change that that uh, uh, thing right here. But but yeah. It's it's quite a, a difficult thing to uh, to do and, and to accept uh, your faults and your failings, and it's something that most people do not do, and that's why they wind up climbing the corporate ladder, getting infected with psychopathy. And by the way, it's an infection. <laughs> you can be indeed possessed by other psychopaths uh, if you if you're in too close proximity. 
uh, to them for too long a period of time. Anybody who goes into a cult and comes out, you'll realize it's not the same person that comes out of that cult. And it's usually a psychopath that running it, right? And yeah, that's that's my biggest fear actually, becoming a psychopath. Vinny, it, it, but you, it sounds to me like even though you're fighting these inner demons, you're giving so much of yourself, and you're living almost this Spartan style, you know, lifestyle, almost like a monk. You're keeping yourself pretty much just on the razor's edge of making it and not making it. It's it sounds like inherent. You are inherently a good person, though. Well, I mean, I I suppose that's true uh, to a degree, but just because someone's inherently good doesn't mean they're not also inherently evil. Well, it's part of being human, though. We have this balance, you know. There's no such thing as a real saint, like to the point that you would never make mistakes, and or else that's not living. I mean, it's not living if you're sitting and meditating twenty four seven. You're not experiencing anything. Of course, you're gonna you're gonna be out in the world, and you're gonna have things happen to you, good and bad. The whole point is to make the best of it, and to. I mean, I boil it down to I. I honestly think the answer to to life and the universe is love. I think that's the highest wavelength, the highest vibration. We'll call it what you will, but the whole point is to is to love and to be happy. I, I think this is um, a good move, and I like to be happy and uh, share joy and uh, doing. You know, wonderful things with uh, friendly people, and and I choose to surround myself with that. And and uh, the problem is, is that once you stick your flag up and you identify who you are, and you become a little bit more uh, more famous. Like I, I like the term pseudo celebrity. Um, somebody somebody uh, actually told me that I was at a New Year's party, and he said, "Oh, you're a pseudo celebrity," and I go, "Yeah, I like the ring of that." Mm. <laughs> yeah, it was like being a celebrity, but without the responsibility. <laughs> Yeah, but you realize that's kind of a bullshit term he's using. What he means is non-mainstream. You're not having your butt wiped 24-7 by, you know, any any of the mainstream networks or anything like that. You know, you're, you're doing it. You're becoming a celebrity of, on your own accord and in your own way and on your own terms. And I highly respect that. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I, it's not a choice. It's a lack of options. I mean, because let's, let's face it, because of uh, the amount of crazy stuff that I say, uh, nobody will ever think that I've got credibility. And that's actually the way that's I want That's not true, it. though. That, not... That's what mainstream says. No, 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 they no. say, oh, these people are no, crazy. No, 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 no. This is what I'm saying, all right? Every crazy-sounding conspiracy theory has an element of truth to it because reality is crazier than anybody could make up. Um, and what I've noticed is that the... Uh, sorry, the uh, the comedians have become the newsmen, <laughs> and the newsmen have become a joke. All I think of when you say that is Bill Hicks and George Carlin towards the end. Yeah, pre precisely. These are the people that, be in lieu of other options, uh, you, these are the people you now turn to for your news. Um, however, I'm not a qualified journalist. I'm not a qualified researcher. I don't actually have the skills uh, to go out there and – or the temperament or the patience to go out there and read government documents, to read legislation myself. So instead what I've done is I've uh, uh, taken up a particular role, a, a particular subset within the alternative media. In the alternative media, there are a lot of participants. There's keyboard warriors, <laughs> um, and let's not, let's not think that's a derogatory term. Without the keyboard warriors who are the ones who share your uh, broadcasts, who are the ones who like your videos, who contribute to your views, who email out those links to other people, 
and and that kind of thing. The keyboard warriors are, are, are the largest and in some ways the most important uh, part of the truth movement. Um, oh, yeah, they have to be because they, they're the ones that are actually replicating the info and pushing it to be out there. You can't do that all by yourself. Mm-mm. No, you can't. Unless you're Rupert Murdoch and you have billions of dollars in a huge in a huge mainstream media apparatus that you own and control, <laughs> um, which we don't, so it 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 basically becomes like a battlefield strategy to me. I like strategy games to it to a large degree because this is just kind of how I think about the world. I think in terms of game theory and strategies. So, on a battlefield, you have troops on the front line. These are people who get hurt. These are people who get killed. These are people who get injured beyond repair and have to be sent home. And you have the people on the back line. These are the people who repair those injured soldiers. These are the people who provide the food, who provide the supply lines, who provide base camp, who provide the cooking facilities and the hot shower facilities and so, and so on and so forth. The nuts and bolts of the machine, really. Without those people who don't get the credit, who don't get called heroes and such and such and blah, 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 like the frontline people do, but without those backliners, those people who heal and provide a stability for the entire movement, there would be no movement, not for more than a couple of days until the, uh, those at the front line burn out, starve to death, or get shot, right? Um, and this is how I see everybody's contribution to the truth movement. I consider myself a uh, part of the propaganda arm of uh, the truth army and propaganda is an interesting word uh, because it has two different connotations. There's two different types of it. Mm -hmm. There's black propaganda, which is the uh, uh, traditional uh, perceived telling lies in order to convince somebody of a particular worldview. Right. And the other is uh, what they call white propaganda, uh, which is telling the truth to convince people of a particular worldview. Right. And again, going back to the army analysis, without the propaganda machine, the U.S. Army needs you. Or uh, we, we will fight them on the beaches. We will fight them in the streets. We will never let go of our homes, not while these people threaten it. Without propaganda in any war, people lose hope. And it's once your troops lose hope, that's once your troops get convinced that victory is impossible that defeat becomes inevitable. I actually totally agree with all that. It takes all of us doing our own part to make all of this happen. And what I'd really like to know is how far do you want to go with this? Where do you want to take it? Where do you see yourself as the years are going by? Honestly, the answer is death. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I went into this with the full-on commitment that I will be doing this until I die or until the New World Order is uh, vanquished and vanquished for a long enough period of time so that the generation after me will be able to live in a time of peace, live in a time of enlightenment without war, but not without challenge. And I may not ever see that world. I may not ever be there to uh, teach children in the future uh, I'd like to be, but I'm, I'm fairly certain this is a war of attrition. And I see these uh, these older guys who have been my, my mentors and, and uh, those who have helped me to become more enlightened like they are by sharing their knowledge and sharing their wisdom. 
Right. That's actually what inspired me to do this as well. And I've seen these old guys die off through the years. And I realized that, that there's uh, something that I want to change is that I don't like it when people leave this plane of existence uh, in the state that they didn't want it to see it be created in. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like it, it unfinished business, you know? Yeah, I know what you're saying. But, I, but I've also become cognizant of the fact that unfinished business is what death is all about, and that's kind of ha- half the reason why I believe in uh, reincarnation. So do I. The other half of the reason is that there's been a whole bunch of people who have been born miles away from villages, miles away from these other families who know everything about those other villages, who know everything about those other families and have memories. that. Oh, yeah, there's definite proof of it. So, yeah, I think that in the context of reincarnation, it means that what we're experiencing right now is a game. And every game that I've ever played has an objective, has a point, has a reward. And I think that uh, the the objective of changing the general course and uh, altering the direction in which this rudder of a Titanic is taking us down, that's my ultimate life goal. And that's because I achieved my ultimate life goal, uh, my previous one, um, uh, last year. I was driving down, the, um, driving down the road, going to my mate's place to get some weed, and uh, I don't have a... I don't have a car stereo because it broke and I can't afford to get it fixed. So I now um, just narrate or, or come up with jokes or, or, or come up with ideas or, or, or uh, come up with tunes or something like that. And I might record them on my cell phone um, just on the dash or, or something like that. But one day I was thinking, what do I want to achieve after I die? What do I want to achieve once I'm dead? And I thought about it for a second. I was like, you know what? I want somebody whose work has saved a lot of lives, who has prevented a lot of human suffering. Once I die, I want that person to give up, come up and uh, have a speech at my funeral and to say something along the lines of, when I was in my darkest time, when I had lost almost all hope in trying to save humanity, there was this guy called Vinnie Eastwood and he came into my life. He showed me that just because we're being exterminated doesn't mean we can't make it fun. He helped me to see that there was a lighter side to genocide and I decided not to give up on my fight to save humanity. I decided to keep going and even fight harder to save humanity because at that crucial moment in my darkest time, there was somebody there who was able to help me see the light. The next day, I get a Facebook message from a guy named Kevin Galilee, who's done a number of hunger strikes, who has written like six books on the covert global depopulation agenda. And he said something along the lines of, I was feeling really, really dark in my most terrible moment, but Vinnie Eastwood helped me to see the light. He helped me to see that there was a lighter side and he reinvigorated me to keep doing what I'm doing and to not give up and to not lose hope. Now, at the same time, I was like blown away at the coincidence of of that. And at the second time, I was really fucked off because I was like, God damn it. I've already achieved what I want to achieve by my death in life. (laughs) What's next? (laughs) 
<laughs> How did it make you feel, though, like inside? I mean, certainly that must have been a very positive thing for you. Well, it is and it isn't, right? Because uh, I found out, like, I'm fat, right? And every time I have started to lose weight, somebody's come up to me and said, hey, Vinny, it looks like you're losing weight. And then I instantly stop exercising and I keep getting fatter. Fuck! <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> 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 yeah, that, that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's almost like I thrive on discouragement um, uh, to, to a large degree because I'm, I'm sort of, in, in a lot of ways, I'm, I'm like my dad like that. Um, he was... Kind of like, although he was kind of violent and maybe maybe not the best dad, he was also a very very talented uh, uh, genius uh, to to a large degree. And the way he got back at people um, who were dissing him and and what have you was by doing something better, something that uh, they said that he couldn't do, you know. And so people told me that I'll never make a living off of the truth movement, and yes, I have. Uh, people tell me that I'll, I'll never I'll never be you know the Alex Jones of New Zealand. Well, I guess I kind of am. And I think so. Yeah, uh, uh, not to not to you know uh, big up Alex Jones or, or or anything. It's it's like every every talk radio show host uh, uh, draws inspiration or, or, or takes ideas and things from others. Um, but I would never ever ever uh, want to be really considered be considered uh, like Alex Jones because I'm not. Well, I think the compliment to Alex is that uh, he's turned it into a successful business model. Sure, sure. However, my Network owner used to produce Alex Jones, and at the time that I uh, got onto that network, there was uh, another uh, radio show host who uh, used to sit in for Alex Jones, and the co-host that I had on my first show on that on that network used to be one of the mentors of Alex Jones. So I have a, a similar um, incubation element uh, environment uh, to how he uh, got his platform and success. The problem is, is that the things that these people told me that he did to them and the reason why they're no longer working for him was really disillusioning. And I suddenly realized that you can't put anybody on a pedestal ever because once they fall from grace and they always will because they're human, you, the idiot who put them up on that pedestal is going to be crushed as they come tumbling down. And that's that's how I started to, instead of have uh, faith and inspiration by other people in the truth movement um, and, and listen to them religiously day after day, I stopped listening to almost everybody and I just started interviewing them instead. And I just tried to be the as good a person as I can possibly be without hurting others. What do you think the state of the truth movement is right now? Because obviously the biggest name out there is Alex Jones, but I hear so many voices also attacking him saying he's a shill he's a government agent he's this he's that i don't know what to make of alex to be honest with you and i've had this conversation with multiple people i'm kind of of, of the opinion that alex jones is really into being alex jones if you go to my uh my youtube channel youtube.com forward slash mr news uh guerrilla media and you click on the little magnifying glass there or go to d go to videos or just search Alex Jones exposed. Does it even matter? And uh, I did a I did a video about this and uh, told the stories of of what um, these people who know Alex Jones have told me. Simply passing on their uh, their wisdom, right? <laughs> and it's 
uh, pretty pretty rough video to watch, man. If you if you really love them and you, and you, and you, and, you, and you're enamored with them, like I was, it's a it's a big big uh, drop in your faith and your motivation. But just because somebody inspires you doesn't mean they need to continue, right? People who uh, I, I saw this uh, really great video and it said there's a difference between inspiring somebody and motivating them. Motivating them means you have to be there all the time, you know, giving them props and saying, oh, you're doing really well and so on and so forth, right? Um, but inspiring somebody means that your job is already done, hmm. all right? They're, they're off. They've got their own energy now and they're, and they're doing their own thing. And that's what I took away uh, from Alex Jones. And, and that's kind of all I'll say on, on this broadcast because ultim- ultimately it's, it's, a, it's not a good move uh, to criticize and, and, and attack others. Because it's not like, let's just say there's two ways to getting to fame. Number one is by being good enough at what you do to become famous at it. And number two is by attacking people who are better than you at what they do and criticizing the hell out of them and have everybody and, and but do it so well that everybody agrees with your criticism and analysis. I don't like that way of, of, of uh, turning to fame because you don't get a fan base of people who are loyal to you because they care about you. You only get a fan base that's loyal to you because they care that because they hate other people. Yeah. So it's all negative. Yeah, 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 exactly. No, I totally agree with you there. But uh, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't win. It's appropriate. Um, expose scumbaggery, especially within your own ranks. Um, Cause I've said for a long time that the, the most important place to expose scumbaggery is actually within yourself. Because if you can't see your own scumbaggery, then you're not going to be able to do um, a hell of a lot uh, of good in a large way. Well, picking up from there, the state of the truth movement, how do you feel it's come along since, I I don't know if the the word inception is is a correct word, because there have always been people like way back when, like the John Birch Society and all that sort of thing. But I'd say the the big takeoff with it was, uh, you know, 9-11, post 9-11, people really started questioning going, what the hell's going on here? How do you feel things are today compared to even just the past 10, 15 years? Honestly, it's very difficult to tell because um, all of our experiences are subjective and without, shall we say, critical analysis that is breaking down things and uh, doing large scale research, uh, particularly by university institutions and things of that nature, surveys uh, and whatnot. It's very difficult to gauge uh, what the what the uh, is happening in the truth movement, or even if there is a truth movement per se. Movement implies that it's going somewhere, right? <laughs> Good <laughs> point. Know? And um, so, what I did was I noticed. Uh, holy shit! I just had a really big realization, bro. What's that? You remember when I told you, LA, on the first hour, how I wrote a seven-page essay about what was wrong with the company and I got fired as a result of it? Yeah. Well, I wrote a uh, a 25-minute speech about what's wrong with the truth movement and what's wrong with us as conspiracy theorists. <laughs> Sounds like you need to do a monologue. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did, actually. <laughs> and, 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 and I'll send you the link but because I, I just had the realization right now that, that I did the exact same thing back in the day. And I got uh, chastised for it, but I just did this um, for the truth movement, right? Uh, not too not too long ago. It's called uh, Conspiracy Theorists, Why People Think You're Crazy and How to Change It. 
because just like I noticed all the different uh, spectra of things that were wrong with the company that I was working for and how to solve those problems, I noticed that all of us in the truth movement have very similar problems. We have problems with our family. We have problems with our friends. We have problems with uh, entertainment. We have problems with money. We have problems with our own heads and how we psychologically deal with things. Oh, that's because we're all human. Yeah, but nobody's ever actually gone, look, conspiracy theorist, I love you. I'm one of you. But here's what we're all doing wrong. And here's how to actually uh, change uh, how badly uh, we're doing. Right? Right. Now, isn't that absolutely necessary in a t- in a time like these, where, where we've got uh, record suicides and uh, uh, people's families don't listen to them, and they, and they get really, really pissed off about absolutely everything, and they're driving themselves nuts because they don't know the coping mechanisms that are required in order to maintain sanity whilst fighting against the crazy freaking people who control this planet. Right. All right. Well, I think it's obvious our society is degenerating badly. Yeah. Yeah. To to a large degree. But people don't realize that you are part of society. So if society is degenerating, so are you. Uh, so this is what I think the truth is happening in the, in the truth movement. Now, is it growing? Obviously, because uh, every single truth uh, website or whatever is increasing in hits on, a, on an exponential scale. And every single uh, mainstream media outlet is decreasing in hits on an exponential scale. Okay, So there's obviously a massive, massive growth going on uh, with our movement. But just like every growth spurt in a human being comes with incredible pain. Uh, so does uh, the adjustment of your life. And, and it it's, is, in fact, uh, quite painful just to see people monstrously screwing it up for other people, you know? Hmm. Like trying to uh, yell at somebody and call them a sheeple, like in public. <laughs> it's like, bro, what are you trying to achieve here? Did you, uh, did you wake up because somebody called you a sheeple? No. Did you wake up because somebody put a gun to your head and said you got to wake up? Or uh, no? Then why are you expecting other people to do this? Okay, you, you you're not uh, uh, doing the uh, requisite critical analysis of your own behavior and how you're going about things in order to appropriately conduct your own behavior within the truth movement and within society, because um, conspiracy theorists, just in general, are quite sane. Uh, quite logical, but also they're dealing with things that are extraordinarily painful, like the realization that your government is out to kill you, the realization that uh, uh, your your medical doctors and things like that are more likely to kill you than any other factor. <laughs> you know, these are kind of like, uh, hmm, that's unfortunate. <laughs> Those kind of realizations will hit you. And uh, coping with these things is, is um, sort of – I've found that uh, when you go into a niche, you realize after a while that there's a niche within a niche. So I've come into the truth movement and the alternative media that's a niche because the mainstream media doesn't cover the stuff. But within the truth movement, there's another niche as well because not only do you have to cover the stuff, you have to help your audience deal with it. And that's that's more or less the role that I've, I've chosen to play. There's a old – uh, South American uh, sort of character that's existed throughout time, sort of, sort of like a legend or, or just more or less just a common knowledge. It's called the Wounded Healer. Sometimes you will suffer things so terribly, you will 
uh, feel such uh, massive pain and that pain will stick with you for long and extended periods of time. And sometimes the only person who can help you through that trauma is somebody who has been through it themselves, who can relate to you directly and be able to help you through uh, to, to getting over it, you know, that kind of thing. And I feel to a large degree I've gotten over being uh, called a conspiracy theorist. I've, I've come up with some pretty straightforward methodologies for uh, how to deal with it. In fact, only one block and the scum is gone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I deal with that every day, too, because I still work a regular job and they love to make jokes to me about how I'm a crazy conspiracy theorist, yet behind closed doors or when I'm one-on-one with people, they'll admit that I'm one of the smartest people and most knowledgeable and, and wise people they've ever met. I'm like, yeah, but it's all fun and games when everyone else is around, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I've got three panels on this um, on this thing. I've, I've popped it into your, into your chat for you there so you can uh, peruse it later. But Thank you. There's three pictures within this, um, within this link and uh, within the uh, whole uh, video that's on, that's on that as well. So definitions, a conspiracy theorist, a person who believes, and you cannot convince them otherwise, that powerful people who have a lot of influence actually use their power to maintain or grow that influence. Sounds pretty straightforward, doesn't it? Yes. And a coincidence theorist is a person who believes that everything happens by sheer coincidence. There's no such thing as corruption, deceit, or backroom deals, and mankind just somehow got over the desire for world domination. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I've got enough money and power, bro. I don't want to. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, I just see. I just see these people going. No, I'm good. No, I'm. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So, which one of those two people sounds more insane? Right. Um, so, so, this is how I'm converting the the definition of conspiracy theorist to being the same people and everybody else. A normal person who's not a conspiracy theorist is completely out of their mind. All right. Do you know where that comes from, though, Vinny? I, I've had this argument with people, and the reason why a lot of people think that way is because they're inherently a, a pretty decent human being and they can't fathom that other people would be doing these evil things. That's what it comes down to. Uh, to, to a large degree, but it's, it's, it's a little bit deeper than that because it's not so much that they can't see uh, uh, how bad people can be because those people aren't like them and they don't think like they do. That's one very important element, sure. But the other important elements is that uh, there's something wrong with everything. Now, most people aren't intelligent enough to realize that there's anything wrong at all. <laughs> and a small percentage of them are smart enough to realize that there's something wrong with maybe a few things, but only very, very, very few people are smart enough to, to work out and deal with the fact without going insane that there's something wrong with just about everything. Everything that you've ever been taught to believe or know or love or, 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 or feel uh, connected to is in, in a lot of ways just a big deception and you have to acknowledge at some point that you have been deceived and that you're not as smart as that you think you are and that you don't know everything. And that, in fact, I think the uh, the best way that I come, come about it myself is just go, Vinny, pretend for a moment that you're a complete idiot and that you've actually got something to learn. And, and, and not only have you got just a little bit of something to learn, but you've got a lot to learn. And not just about a few isolated topics or something like that, but about absolutely everything. How complicated is the Earth? Okay, how many different systems does it have? <laughs> Whether the human or or or, um, or natural systems, how many are there? What are all their inputs, outputs? What are, what are all the uh, 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 elements in the equation? And the answer is nobody fucking knows, right? Because it's too big 
a complex system for any one person to be able to fathom it. Stephen Hawking, no clue. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Doesn't matter how smart you are. There's just too much information for a single mind to ever know it all. And so I've cut myself off at the past there and I go, you know, I don't want to know it all. What I want to know is a tiny little bit about everything. All right. I'll never never know 100% and be able to research and lecture people on 9-11. But I will be able to uh, get people to ask themselves some very important questions about 9-11. For example, have you got a barbecue? Yeah. Okay. When was the last time you used that barbecue? Well, like last week we were having, it when we were having a few people around for a few beers and some, and some uh, burgers on the barbecue. Yeah. And I go, okay. Did the, how long did you have that barbecue on? Was it probably for over an hour? Yeah. And did the grill melt? No. Did the barbecue explode into particleized dust? No. Then 9-11 was an inside job. (laughs) 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 You know? And um, conspiracy theorist was a term uh, 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 utilized by Richard M. Nixon. Yeah. He called uh, Woodward and Bernstein conspiracy theorists when he was getting nicked over the Watergate affair. He also said, I am not a crook. And it was later found out that he was part of a conspiracy and also a crook. Okay, <laughs> so that's how that works. Very much so. All right. Now, anyone who believes that every conspiracy theorist is insane is clearly out of their mind. But anybody who believes that no conspiracy theorists are insane is completely out of their fucking mind. Mm. Right? Because th- this this is a crazy making game. Learning the truth. Okay. Um, people say, uh, what was it? The truth will set you free, but it'll piss you off first. And I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. I think the truth is weaker than lies. For one specified reason, there is only one truth. Okay, you've got the facts, you've got the evidence. Boom, that's the truth. Can't argue with it. What you can do is you can lie about it. What you can do is you can ignore it. What you can do is you can omit it. What you can do is not report on it. Right. And thus, the truth is able to be concealed very easily. And even when the truth gets revealed, they can just lie and say that it didn't get revealed and lie again when you challenge them on it and then lie again and again and again. Or throw so much distraction out there that it doesn't matter anyway. So how many different ways can you argue the truth? There's only one way, and that's because it's the truth. It's not malleable, it doesn't change, and it doesn't suit to conform other people's thoughts or or, or ideology or anything like that because it's the truth. It's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. Why lies are superior to truth is because they do not hold those same rules. You can infinitely make up more lies, okay? I can just lie. And then have and then tell another lie to cover up for my other lie, and and again and again in an endless uh, cycle, and th- and that house of cards may never come tumbling down. I mean, what are we in the uh, the ten thousandth year of human civilization on planet Earth, and we're still under the control of ruthless criminal psychopathic scum? <laughs> do you think do you think they were capable of keeping control of humanity for that long with such dominance if truth was more powerful than lies like like people in the truth movement have been telling us no no i think they got a good grip on things okay so if you lie if you are a scumbag if you hurt people you will be very successful in this world because it's made by crazy people to work this way. Only by denying your own brilliance and your creativity will you want to climb a corporate ladder instead of starting your own business. 
only by lying to yourself about how uh, uh, much effect you can have on the world will you choose to keep working a slave job that's going nowhere and choose not to develop yourself or spend any of your spare time on any uh, particular hobbies or projects that may at some point produce a different income or a different life for you. The lies that we tell ourselves are powerful and, and it's the easiest thing that we can do is lie to ourselves because we want to believe our own BS, don't we? <laughs> yeah. You know, we want to believe our BS. We want to believe other people's BS. We don't want to, we don't want to come to the real painful truths about ourselves. And we certainly, certainly don't want to come to the, uh, the uncomfortable truth that all the people who we rely on as figures of authority in our society are actually operating on 100% fueled, ready to go, pure and unadulterated scumbaggery. That's right. To realize that, that this is the society you live in is quite traumatic. Yeah. And it's not a good idea um, to just say, hmm, oh, wow, the truth more powerful than the lies because there's no evidence to suggest that's the case. Or at, le or at least I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> <laughs> now, I want to read you a, 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 a question, a, a part out of this about, about the insanity uh, element. The element of madness has either been creeping in, laying dormant inside, or has always been dominant in the truth movement. It seems to be getting more noticeable by the day as comment threads and message boards seem to be filling up with posts in all caps with at least 20 exclamation marks after each <laughs> sentence by fake accounts that have almost no followers that for some reason always manage to include the word truth, sheep, or Jew somewhere in their names. That's actually the heart of the matter, to differentiate oneself from those people and instead stay calm, reasonable, well-researched, and personable. Of course, that's an impossible task because regardless of how awesome you are, you'll always run the risk of getting called names by brainwashed, psychopathic, and crazy people. But at least this way, you and the others like you will be able to quickly identify each other because few things are worse than fighting people who agree with you and agreeing with people who hate you. There's a lot of things that need to, that need to be um, uh, changed about this world, and I'm not going to just sit there and accept the uh, the reality uh, and and just go, no, nah, I can't change it. I can't change it. I'm just going to work within the system. I'm just going to get a slave job. I'm just going to get myself a house that the bankers own anyway. Isn't that the answer for most people? What can I do? I'm one person. That's what I always hear, and I'm like, yeah, you're one person, but if we all start working together, you're not just one person. No, it's like, bro, that's the complete wrong way of looking at it. I'm one person. Look what I've achieved. 21,000 YouTube subscribers. I've uh, prevented many uh, listeners and indeed activists from committing suicide at these crucial times in their lives. I've created uh, the largest online free archive of interviews with protests, uh, uh, leaders and activists and things like that, plus public meetings and, and videos of the protests themselves than anybody in New Zealand history. Nobody's even come close. Even the National Archives doesn't have as much protest stock footage as I do. <laughs> okay? So I'm one guy. <laughs> did other people help me along the way? Sure. But did anybody do all these videos for me? Did anybody go to those protests for me? Did, it, did I require any of them to? No, I didn't. It's when you realize that you yourself are really powerful that it's the most painful reality to deal with because you realize now how powerful you are and what a massive obligation it is on you to go out and do things by yourself without anybody's help 
if necessary, without anybody's appreciation, if necessary, even through great opposition. Because ultimately, it's always been one person that's changed the world and everybody else is just along for the ride, right? Hmm. Gandhi was one person. Chairman Mao was one person. Joseph Stalin was one person. Uh, These people have changed the course of history for good or for ill. But they were one person at the at the end of it. And if you think of yourself as the most important person in the world to yourself, then you'll actually start to realize how powerful you are and what great an effect you can have on others. The people who are the weakest, the people who are the easiest to discourage, the people who are the easiest to sideline and destroy and make give up are the people who think they need somebody else's help to begin anything, right? Somebody wants to start up a radio show. It's like, oh, I need a co-host. No, you don't. If somebody wants to start up a website, oh, I need a webmaster. No, you don't. Somebody wants to start up a YouTube channel. Oh, I need somebody else to do the editing for me. No, you don't. You actually have to figure out how to do all this stuff by yourself. And that seems like a really daunting task. And it's exactly how it sounds. It is not easy. But if you come to the realization that no lesson in life that is real easy to learn is of any value. It's always the things that have cost you the most that have the most value. Perfect, man. I think that's a brilliant way to leave this, too. All right. Do you want to throw out your uh, all of your websites and everything that you've got? Uh, sure. It's uh, the VinnieEastwoodShow.com. That's Vinnie with a Y because it's the most important question. Eastwood as in go ahead. Make my ears. <laughs> <laughs> and you can catch me on uh, AmericanFreedomRadio.com four days a week. And you can indeed have a, a, a good laugh because, dude, just because you're being exterminated doesn't mean you can't make it fun. Otherwise, what's the point <laughs> of being killed? I hear you, man. I really appreciate you giving me some time here. All right. Choice, brother. You have yourself a wonderful evening. And uh, uh, thank you to all your listeners for uh, listening in and listening to me ramble about how awesome I am for like an hour and a half. Killer. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, mate. (laughs) Cheers, mate. Cheers, man. Take care. That's it, folks. What a great show that was. We'll see you again.